I said, how many already feel the presence of the Lord in this place? My goodness, it's going to be an enriched time today. You're going to enjoy this morning, tonight, uh, the presence of the Lord. We want you to come back in here at 6 o'clock, in here. because And online, you can join us, 6 o'clock in here. I know Sunday nights is family night, and you don't often get to join us online. But tonight, uh, you'll be able to be here with us. It's going to be a great time in the presence of the Lord. Welcome. Some of you are coming back in. Pray for those that seemingly there's a spike uh, COVID, but how many know God can take care of it just like he did last time? God can take care of it. And um, many of you know, maybe you don't, uh, but uh, Melissa and I's home church uh, down in Louisiana, this is uh, Pastor Marty Harden and Dana. They are, uh, Pastor Marty is my pastor's son, who is now the pastor of the church after my pastor went to be with the Lord in 2002, three, 2003, uh, Pastor George Harden. And, um, Father, remember the times I tell him all the time, Brother Marty, uh, every Sunday night I went to the altar. You remember that. I went to the altar every Sunday night. Some of you ought to try it. I say, people wondered, what is Brother Ronnie, is he that bad? No, no, it was that good. You don't have to be bad to go to God's altar. Now, it's good that you make one if you are bad. Amen. You get things started. But I went every night, every Sunday night, every Sunday night. And maybe it was, maybe it was, I got addicted to the love of my pastor. Cause he'd come back around me with big old tears, just drop hot tears on my neck and lay his hand on me. And if you, if you grew up like I grew up, uh, you know, that is something you just, every young man wants the approval of a father. Come next Sunday, I'll talk to you a little bit more about it. Every young man wants an approval from a father. Every young woman definitely wants her father to approve and love her the way she needs to be loved, not the way y'all don't want me to go. I'll tell you next Sunday, come back, come back. How many plan to come back? I know the lake is nice, but it'd be better to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. We went to the lake yesterday. Beautiful. We thought it was going to be a rain out, but it was it was a wonderful time with the young adults. The youth just got back Friday. They got a lot to share with us. It's going to be some great times. Amen. Max, you look lonely on the right side over there. Got destiny over here. Got a couple on the left side. Hey, how y'all doing, guys? I turned the air off so y'all didn't freeze up there. But I'm sweating buckshots down here just to want to let you know the sacrifices I'm making. <laughs> anyway, Brother Marty and I, we've been knowing each other since junior high school. And, uh, and we, you know, uh, his family moved from Pine Bluff, Arkansas to South Louisiana to take a Assembly God church. And I often told my pastor and, and Brother Marty too, had they not obeyed the will of God to answer the call and to go, I know God is sovereign. He'd have found me somewhere or another. But it, but it is the fact that, uh, their will of God could it be that there for such a time as this included me. Included Melissa. And, uh, Teresa invited Melissa to youth camp and she went and started a, a uh, a process of, of, of family coming to God. And now here we are, um, 39 years later, almost 40 years ago. And thanks be to God. Anybody glad to be saved? So all that investment, uh, in, in your pastors come from our home church, uh, helped us with our first semester in Bible school. And uh, forever indebted, Brother Marty, to you and the church and the family. And uh, so would you help me give an Ozark welcome, Pastor Marty Harden, as he comes and brings the word of God today. 
He's a preacher. He's a teacher. He's a man of God. And most importantly, my friend, we love you, buddy. Looking forward to today and tonight. Amen. Well, it's an honor to be with you, be in this church. We we think much of your pastor and his wife and have been lifelong friends. Um, I guess he knows me better than anybody else or longer than anybody else. He don't know me better. I got to clear that up. My wife knows me better, but he knows me longer than anybody else in this place. I met him in 1976. He was uh, half the man he is now. <laughs> Had long hair, believe it or not. I'm not going to make fun of him. I'm up here in the Ozarks, you know. Bears might come through the sanctuary door if you make fun of the prophet that's bald-headed, but he had hair back then. And uh, I could tell you stories about him that I promise I won't. And he could do the same about me. I'll just say thank God for grace. Yeah. You know, I, I, can I, is it all right if I visit with you just for a minute? Yeah. You know, we'll get down to the preaching in just a moment. But uh, uh, I know... When the new preacher comes, you, you don't know, you're not aware of. In the first few minutes, you're trying to decide whether you like him or not. We don't have time for that. Uh, my wife's here. It's good to have Dana. She's also Thomas Carpenter's, her brother. So we have another connection here as well. And we got to have supper with Thomas and Angela last night and had a great time. But uh, we have four children, five grandchildren, two sons, two daughters, three granddaughters, two grandsons. And uh, we're enjoying all of that. We have a well-balanced marriage. I couldn't have done better. She couldn't have done worse. I'm blessed. She's cursed. But uh, it's a great time. Recently, I was with, uh, you know, it's been about a year and a half or so, two years. True story. I was with my dad's sister. My dad had two brothers and one sister. They all had girls. And then my parents, I'm the only son. I had two sisters. So to say that I was close to my granddad would be an understatement because I was his only grandson. But I was with her recently, and she told me of a man that went to, a man and his wife and his mother-in-law went to Israel. And uh, while they were there, the man's mother-in-law, the wife's mama, passed away. And he went and met with the undertakers, and they said, well, we can do one of two things. said, we can prepare her body to send her back to the United States. It'll cost you $5,000. Or we can bury her here and only cost you 150 So the man thought for a moment, and he said, well, you'll have to prepare her to send her back to the United States. So the undertaker said, sir, I don't understand. He says, it's going to cost you $5,000 to do that. We'll bury her here in Israel for $150. He said, well, 2,000 years ago, a man died over here, and they buried him. He rose again, and I just can't take that chance with my mother-in-law. And I told you that for this reason. There's an empty cross. Oh, she did tell me that story, by the way. The cross is empty. 
I said, the cross is empty. And so is the tomb. I've never been to Israel, been invited a few times, even been invited to preach over there. Just didn't get to go. But um, I have a lot of friends that's been, and every time they go, they say they go to the site where the tomb is. And there's always a line of people. It's the only place in the world that people line up to see nothing because there's nothing there. I said, he's alive, folks. He's alive, folks, and we ought to be more excited about it than that. So the empty cross says this. As God saying, I will. The empty tomb says, I can. And our full heart said, he did. Amen. Are you glad you're in the presence of the Lord today? Now, I want to make it clear. I'm not looking for a place to preach. I have one. I came because I I don't go everywhere I'm invited. I came because I felt led to come. And I believe the Lord has laid a message on my heart for this church. I'm going to give you part one this morning and part two tonight. Now, all of us, you're a sports fan. You love baseball games that go into extra inning or football games or basketball games that go into overtime. A lot of you ladies like to see a movie that's continued. We'll find out who loves the word of God like that tonight. Amen. I'm going to give you a little appetizer this morning. I'm going to give you the meat tonight. How many of y'all know what lanyap is? I know Brother Ronnie does. Lanyap's a French word. It means a little something extra. He's, you don't know this, but Brother Ronnie, we call him T-Boy from Mamou. Mamou's where his family is from. That's a town, Mamou, for real. And he's T-Boy. That's, that's, that's what we call him. And I was a little, one thing when I go to other churches to preach, and I do that sometimes, I'm a little worried about my South Louisiana, Louisiana accident, thinking y'all might need an interpreter, but I didn't feel that way here because T-Boy from my moves been preaching up here for about 20 years. I was talking to Thomas about that last night. He said, you don't have to worry about that church where the Ronnie's been down here for 20, up here for 20 years and they're used to the way y'all talk. So now I'm going to do something a little bit different. Again, I'm appreciative of this church, appreciative of the opportunity to preach and I trust that the Lord will Use this frail body, this frail lips to say something to you today. That's what I've asked him to do. I don't want to say any more or less than he won't say it. I'm going to read the text towards the end of the message, which is something I normally don't do. You know, we eat so much crawfish down in South Louisiana, sometimes we back into things. So I'm going to read the text towards the end of the message this morning. So I want you to stick with me. We're going to be taking our thought in both services along these lines. This title, The Surrender of Christianity. I'm not talking to you about surrendering to Christ. I'm talking about the establishment of the surrender of Christ in our lives. Not merely surrender to Christ, but the establishment or, or development, the duplication of the surrender of Christ in our life. Now, we're Pentecostal. That ain't good enough. I said we're Pentecostal. Pentecost is not a denomination. Pentecost is an experience. I believe God's gift of salvation deals with our sin, the sin problem. And Pentecost helps us deal with ourself. Now, stick with me. 
Salvation deals with our sin, the blood of Jesus. But Pentecost helps us deal with ourselves. How many of you will be honest enough before God in heaven, and it will help me go on to say, Brother Marty, I need help with myself. Come on, where are the rest of you at? How many, how many of you need help with yourself? Amen. I need help with myself. We need the Holy Ghost, folks. I said we need the Holy Ghost to bring us into line with the life and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And along the way, a whole lot of other things. We need the Holy Ghost. Now, I want to make it clear. I don't believe it's a requirement for heaven, but it may be necessary to get there on our side. Because we got to deal with who? Us. Paul taught us in the book of Romans that we are to be reconciled, that we are reconciled to God by the death of his son. But then he uses a term in Romans 5 that he uses several times in Romans 5. I preached preached a message there many times, much more. You go read Romans 5 and you read how many times in the King James Version the term much more. I want to tell you God has much more for you than just being reconciled with him. Amen. Being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That's what he said in Romans 5. Now, we all know that we learn a lot of different ways. We learn through education. Education and the emphasis has changed so much in my lifetime. When I was a kid in school, they gave us, they taught us how to think, not what to think. And there's a big difference between those two things. When they, when, when, when a society or a system teaches you what to think, their intent is to control you. And you need to hear what I'm telling you today because that's the emphasis of the education system today. It's the purpose behind all the standardized testing. They try to say it's for accountability, but I'm telling you, they're trying to pass every child through the same knot hole. They want every young person to think the same way. Why? Because they want to control them. It's indoctrination. Not necessarily education. Education gives you the information, tells you the truth, gives you the right information. Now we're finding out that we hadn't even been told all the truth necessarily about things. I hate to tell you this, not even in the church world. Because the religion, they're trying to do the same thing. They want to control you. I want to tell you the gospel is not about religion. It's about a relationship with the living God. And it's real and it's alive and I'm grateful for it. And I want a relationship with God, not interested in your religion. We also learn by example. You put an example out there before. That's what Brother Ronnie's probably going to deal with here next Sunday. Every child, God intended every child to have a godly mother and a godly father. To live the example before them. To illustrate the truths that they're trying to teach them. He meant for every man, woman, every boy and girl to have a parent that would bring them to church, not drop them off at church. He wants every child to have a parent that will lead them to heaven. Why? Because of the influence of example. My dad told me when I was a kid, you can go where I go. You can say what I say and you can do what I do. And he lived that away. He wasn't one thing in the pulpit, something else that, At home, he wasn't one thing on Sunday, something else Monday through Saturday. He lived what he preached. So was my mom to the degree that even when I got out there and in some years that I regret and didn't live for the Lord, all I had to think about when I faced the decision was what would my daddy do? What would my mama do? And I could identify the truth. I could identify the right thing to do. That's what every child deserves. But now we're living in a world that says we don't, the truth is relative. It's not absolute. And we're leaving children to themselves. And we wonder why young people today look like they fell in a tackle box. 
They have no identity. They have no security because nobody will tell them the truth anymore. And that's why the church of the living God is still here. We're not here to play games this morning. I didn't drive all the way up here because I don't have anything else to do. I believe the Lord sent me here. I sense his presence in this place. I'm not here to talk about him. I want to make it clear this morning. I'm here to talk for him. And you can do whatever you want to with that. God has something to say to old Grove this morning. And he gave me the privilege to come and share it with you. And I'll be forever accountable for what's said from this desk in these next two services. We also have experience that teaches us. We can be taught, shown, trained. But I really feel the greatest teacher is experience. Because experience leaves us with an impression as well as information. Listen now. An impression that confirms or enforces the information. It's like a double whammy. That's why I think experience is a greater teacher. Because it's not just information. It's also an impression. In our ranks, in our circles, the church world, a testimony that confirms God's truth. A testimony that confirms God's truth. So the fact is, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Therefore, I don't need your endorsement when I've had an experience. I don't need your endorsement if I've had an experience. I told you all ago, we have four children. My oldest son, when he was two years old. His name's Brandon. I was out on church visitation. I'll never forget it because of how the story ended up. My mother-in-law happened to be down visiting with us. I don't know what happened. Dana called me. They contacted me. Something's wrong with his shoulder. He's not moving his arm. We feel like we need to take him to the emergency room. Nothing happened to explain that. It just, he quit using his arm. So I met them at the emergency room. By the time I got there, they'd already done a shoulder examination. He's two years old. He would not move his right arm. They put a popsicle out on his right side, and he reached across with his left hand. His right arm is just dangling. And the doctor told me in the emergency room, we've already done a full shoulder examination. We think it's something neurological. So I picked up my son, and they said, we're going to do some x-rays. That's what they did back in those times of his of his brain, of his skull. And we want to see. So I just picked up my son, and I'm walking with him, Brother Ronnie. To the now, look, this is a young parent. This was my first experience with something like this. And I'm walking with my two-year-old son. And again, I said, what would my daddy do? Brother Ronnie, I knew what my daddy would do. So I just began to pray a simple prayer. And I said, God, you gave me this son. I'm talking to you about experience, church. And I dedicated him back to you. And they don't know what's wrong with his shoulder. I'm asking you, would you just heal him? I believe you're a healer. And whether you heal him or not, I'm going to preset the rest of my life. But would you touch my son? And I put him down on that x-ray table, big x-ray machine back in those days. You know, he was afraid and I was trusting God. And it was a, it was a moment that I'll never forget. And I said, just ride. It's going to be like riding the choo-choo, trying to make him relax and I believe the Lord touched him. So when I picked him up off the table after they took the pictures, I said, Doc, can you go get that popsicle again? Go get another popsicle. She went and got another popsicle, and she put it out in front of him, and he reached over and grabbed it with that right hand. Come on, church. Hallelujah. God healed him. 
The doctor in the emergency room was from India. She was a woman doctor. And she said, it's a miracle. That's what she said. Not me. She said, it's a miracle. I said, we believe in miracles. She said, I do too now. Come on, church. The doctor said it was a miracle. Well, my son doesn't have to walk around with the right arm dragging because somebody doesn't believe in divine healing. That's what I'm telling you. When you've had an experience, you're not at the mercy of an argument. If you know the Lord changed you and he made you a new creature in Christ, if you know you've been born again, if you know you're not what you used to be, what difference does it make what somebody else believes about? God still can save our soul. If you've been delivered from drugs or alcohol or gambling or anything else, pornography, you know that our God can still set you free, as Brother Ron. I don't need to explain it. I just need to enjoy it. Hallelujah. When you have an experience, walk in the joy that the experience brings. Talking to you about the surrender of Christianity. What Springfield needs today is not necessarily a Republican in office. Or a conservative in office. What Springfield needs is men, women, boys, and girls walking around. Moving in and through it with an undeniable experience with a living God. People that genuinely know God. Not just things about God. But they know Him in a personal and intimate way. By experience. Filled with His glory. I'm going to tell you, you walk around this city filled with the glory of God. Filled with the Holy Ghost. This city will take note. They'll be asking you what you believe. How can you have a smile on your face today through all you're going through? I can tell you, it's not that the trouble's not real. It's that the triumph has already been won in Christ. Amen? That's what this city needs, just like mine. Listen, it's time for the church to quit seeking the endorsements of this world and start sharing our experiences with God. We must be more interested in our representation. Dare I say our demonstration of Christ. Than our acceptance in a world that has willfully rejected him. Listen to me. I wouldn't take advice from anybody that's rejected Christ. I mean. The layman in Acts chapter 3. You know the story. He had been sitting there for years. He had been sitting at their door of religion for years. Everybody in Jerusalem knew who he was because of the place that he sat. He sat in the prominent place with a real problem. And their religion didn't do nothing about it for years and years and years. But Peter and John came by one day. Full of the Holy Ghost. I said full of the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about men walking in Springfield. Full of the Holy Ghost. Women living in Springfield. Young people going to schools in Springfield. Full of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 3. You go read it. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And the Bible says. He went walking and leaping. And praising God. I'm going to tell you. You can't deny a lame man that sat at your temple for 40 years. Your religion for 40 years. That's now running the aisles of the temple. And I can tell you. I believe that Peter and John took him. With them through Acts 4 and on. And every time the questions got a little bit deep. Or they couldn't find an answer. If that was even happening they'd point 
to Bubba. Let's call him Bubba. Bubba, take a lap. Bubba, jump. Bubba, leave. You can't argue with Bubba. By the way, that's how you know you're in a redneck church. When they ask Bubba to take up an offering and three men and two women stand up. I'm just simply saying we need some Bubba's walking around. It's had an experience with a living God. I can tell you, he may not could explain it intellectually, but I, I can tell you of the two, being able to explain it versus experiencing, what do you think Bubba would say? Let me walk. Let me run. Let me leap. Let me be set free. There is no explanation. Come on, church, but God. Hallelujah. That's what this city needs, just like my city. People that come to church, not out of religious obligation. People that come to church because they recognize an opportunity to be with the risen Christ, to be in the presence. Why do we come to church? Because we want to, I hope, not because we have to. Some of you may be here this morning because your wife made you. Some of you may be here this morning because your parents made you. I want to tell you I'm here because I want to be. This is not a, 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 a duty. This is a delight. It's not a job. It's a joy. God can do something here today that will change not just you, but everybody around you. From here on, that's what he did in the book of Acts. And let me tell you, I believe that Saul of Tarsus knew who that lame man was. Come on now. He was a prominent Pharisee. Don't you think he knew about the lame man that sat at their gate? And I believe he's dealing with, why is he walking and leaping and praising God today? I believe he saw other things in the book of Acts. I believe he saw Stephen stoned to death. And I believe he saw the same spirit demonstrated in that pit, wherever they were stoning Stephen, as he was being stoned to death, that he saw manifested on the cross. Father, forgive him. And I believe he's dealing with all that when he's riding or going to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. All of the true witnesses of Christ, all of the witnesses that he had seen, where the life of Christ was demonstrated, even after his death and resurrection. And he knew he had come to the place that he knew that what we tried to do to stamp that life out has only served to spread it more. And that's what Pentecost is really all about. And the same Pentecost is needed today that was needed in the book of Acts. And somehow we've made it optional in our mindset. We made it like it's something on a buffet table that you can choose to take if you want to. I want to tell you, we're talking about the surrender of Christianity. You want to experience all God has for you, you're going to have to come to depths of surrender that most never know. Paul would later write, the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to the church at Philippi, that I may know him. That's all he wanted to do. That was manifested, that first experience. When that light shone from heaven, he said, who art thou, Lord? And then it goes on to say, what do you want me to do? And I believe those two questions and the answers dictated the rest of his life. Matter of fact, I believe if we could find the Apostle Paul right now in heaven, he still has a desire to want to know God more. Oh, and don't look at me so holy. 
I can tell you when we've been there 10,000 years, there'll still be more of him to come to know than we have come to know. You know, that's one of the great benefits of being a believer. Our greatest days are always going to be in front of us. You know, if you, if you, if you're not a believer, if you, if you rejected Christ, this world's as good as it gets. If you're going to reject him, get out there and do your thing. I'm going to just tell you truthfully because you, this is as good as it gets. But for the believer, our greatest days are always in front of us. There's always more glory to come to know. There's always deeper depths of love to see. Do you believe that? That's what heaven's going to be around. As a matter of fact, it's so glorious. He's so holy that they've got some creatures up there. That's all they do. They sit around the throne and they say, holy, 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 holy. And one of these days you and I can join him and say, holy, holy, holy. Church, do you believe we're headed somewhere, don't you? Listen to me, you're not going to end up in heaven by accident. You might have woke up on Saturday morning wondering how you got a place, but you're not going to wake up walking on streets of gold and wonder how you got there. You're going to have to decide to go there, and when you do, all hell is coming after you. And that's why we need the Holy Ghost. Surrender of Christianity. I'm laying a foundation for something here. Paul witnessed in people the life that he saw in Christ. People that were ready, willing, and able to share what they experienced with Christ. The one he himself experienced on the road to Damascus. These words have challenged every conscientious believer. The words that I may know him since the day that Paul penned them under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He said, you can take all of the, my accomplishments in life and you can put them in a file and label it dumb when you compare it to what it's like to win Christ. Who could argue with the urgency of the need to know God more and better? Especially in this chaotic climate we're living in. I'm living in this too, you know. I had COVID. My mama had COVID. She's 80 years old, was on a vent for 17 days. Thomas had COVID. You know that testimony. It's a real thing. But the virus is not our problem. I said the virus is not our problem. It's the mindset that they're trying to change in this society. It's important to understand that we're looking this morning at how we relate to God. Because our position in relationship to him. How do we look at our heavenly father? Because he's always the same. His position is never in question. Though we may come to never come to fathom or understand it fully, it cannot be questioned. God is. He said, I am the great I am. He is. His position What he'll do is never in question. It's how are we looking to him? Where is our perspective of our heavenly father? Some people look at him like he's a mean old man up in heaven with a bat waiting to hit you on top of the head every time you mess up. Well, if he did that, me and Brother Ronnie, because I know him, would have knots all over our head. That's not the way God is. God is love. I said God is love. The depths of which we will probably never come to know in forever. How are we going to respond? It's our knowledge of God, not his knowledge of us. We're talking about our love for God, not his love for us. Our commitment to God, not his commitment to us. He invested everything. 
He bankrupt heaven for you and me. With the level of a relationship we long for with him. Not his desire with us. The real issue is have we settled for less than God has made available to us in Christ? Because of a lack of surrender. A lack of surrender. Now listen to me, church. It is very difficult for a self-consumed society to even consider the word surrender. It doesn't make any sense to a carnal mind how we can gain everything by surrendering everything. How we gain by giving up. You know why Brother Ronnie went to the altar on those Sunday nights? Because he come to realize it wasn't a place to come get anything. It was a place to come give everything. See, our perspective has cost us experience. I got to say, it's quite obvious that most people do settle. Just look around at the world we're living in. But I'm talking to you this morning. What about you? What about me? I submit to you that we all have had some glorious experiences with God. Amen? But we ain't seen nothing yet. Y'all do know what ain't means up here in Missouri, don't you? I said, we ain't seen nothing yet. Come on, church. We ain't seen nothing yet. God's circle is almost complete. What he put in motion when he decided to say, let there be light. The culmination of it all, this generation may very well live to see. We're about to see what God Almighty set in motion. What God Almighty had upon his heart when he's created this world. What he put in motion. You and me walking with him on portals of glory. That's what he had in mind. Our redemption. I said our redemption. Hallelujah. I want to be a part of that, don't you? Why settle? I may not be able to explain it. I may not be able to express it, but folks, we can experience it. And one experience with our great God is greater than all the education in the world put together. Listen to me. And I'm not against education. It's always a mistake to choose knowledge over life. No matter what a dead man knows, it does matter how he lived. It's always a mistake to pursue knowledge over life. I'm going to tell you right now, if I was drowning and a man had a dictionary in one hand and a life preserver in the other, which one would you choose? I can't hear you. What if you had a doctor's degree? Which one would you choose? How many of y'all with me? It's always a mistake. Isn't that what even Adam did? They forfeited the tree of life. For the tree of what? Of good and evil. Have we seen the same thing happen? All those revival movements, Brother Ronnie's been telling you, spoke about at one time they had a real move of God, Holy Ghost. But listen to me, and I'm not, I'm not against education. Every one of them made education the emphasis. And what did they lose? Life. All those colleges, it started out as seminaries. Now are the very places that are producing the most agnostic, atheistic attitudes and philosophies in the world. And it'll be no different with us if we follow this. You know, if we do what we want to, we'll bust hell wide open. 
You got to have something outside of yourself. That's why we got to talk about the surrender of Christ in us, not just our surrender to Christ. That's what we're dealing with here. It's quiet in here. I said it's quiet in here. I can almost hear your heart beating. Some of you are still thinking about the dictionary. Listen, it don't matter what a dead man knows. It matters how he lived. The Apostle Paul, who perhaps experienced the extremes of life like no other, had a revelation of Christ that was unparalleled in his day and perhaps any other day. He saw some truths that God has used in his letters under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost of the majority of the New Testament books. I believe he had come to realize a very sobering reality, and that is we bring the limitations into the relationship. We bring the limitations to the table, not God. I said, we bring the limitations in the relationship. How are we responding to God Almighty's advances of grace? How are we responding to the conviction of the Holy Ghost? How are we responding to the truths of God's Word that are divinely revealed to us? The same Holy Ghost that inspired men to write them still inspire men to understand them. And that's what we need because let me tell you, revelation will satisfy your soul and explanation will just call, leave you with another question. Don't forfeit divine revelation for human explanation. Now, our response affects our experience because God longs for a relationship. So he knocks. But who has to open? He offers, but who has to accept? He opens the way before us, but we got to walk it. He tells us the truth, but we got to believe it. He brought eternal life for us, but we got to receive it. To fully experience God's glory, we have to respond right to His grace. Because the real purpose for His glory, I mean, grace is getting us ready for His glory. He doesn't want to just fill you with His grace. He wants to fill you with His glory. I said, God wants to fill you with His glory. And there's nothing like it. These bodies are temples of the Holy Ghost. That's what the Word of God teaches. And when He fills these temples with His glory, there's nothing that will satisfy your soul like that. Come on, church. We're Pentecostal. We ought to be more excited about it than that. So James taught us that as we draw nigh to God, what happens? You think God wants to draw nigh to us? Do you? He sent His Son to die so He could. We walked in this church this morning. We started singing in the glory, the very thing, Shekinah glory that we were asking was filling this place. One reason, the shed blood of Calvary. You see, it's one thing for you and I to have liberty in his presence, but it's a whole different thing for him to have liberty in ours. There's one thing for me to have. I want him to have, to have be able to do anything he wants to with me, to me, in me, and through me. I want God to have liberty with me. What would happen today, right now, right here, if each of us would just take a step towards God? Only heaven knows. I said only heaven knows. 
So the opportunity to know God Almighty in a deeper way is before you and I today. Personally and intimately. Before all of us in Christ. But most people today will not know God better today when it's over. Most people will not be closer to God when this day is over than they are when it started. It's quite obvious that Paul had come to know a lot of things. But I believe that there was one thing that he had come to realize from the revelations he had received, the intimate knowledge of God he had gained in and through life experience, is there was more of God to know than he had already come to know. And that there would be more of God to know forever. If he had a million lifetimes, he wanted to know. He would never get to know him. But I promised you, Paul wanted to. I said Paul wanted to. As a matter of fact, he had come to realize that even through the most difficult things I've been through in my life, they were worth going through. Why? Because I know him better than I did before I went through them. In fact, if you're an honest man or you're an honest woman and you look back upon your life, hindsight, the most difficult things you've been through have been the greatest teachers of your life about this real God. You know more about the grace of God, the love of God, the peace of God, the joy of God than you would ever have known if you hadn't been through the difficult things experience experience now i'm telling you we told god in a song this morning chrissy we wait on you he's waiting on us i said he's waiting on you we limit him we go home before he's through We turn it off. Right when he's getting to the meat of the message. I have to make it clear this morning. I'm asking you what I really believe in my humanity to be a redundant question. Or you probably wouldn't be in church this morning in this climate. But if God wants me to ask it, then it's not redundant. I'm asking you, every one of you individually and collectively as a church, do you want to know God? Do you really want to know God? Paul was driven by that. Not just in and through his life on earth. As I told you, I believe we could find him today would find that same drive because I think it's going to be there forever. I'm not talking about the things we've heard about God or the 16 fundamentals of truths, what we believe, why, all of that. Things we've learned or know about him, but I'm talking about knowing him. Surrender plays a part. The fact is every one of us are as close to God as we want to be. Even if we are closer than we've ever been. You heard about the old couple who's riding in the pickup truck. The old farmer was sitting against his door driving. The wife was sitting against her door real quiet. She must have been reflecting about how things used to be. She said, Paul, you remember the days I used to sit by you and you'd put your arm around me. We'd hold hands sitting by each other, just going on and on. Well, 
probably trying to make him feel bad. He looked over when she got through with her spiel and said, I hadn't moved. God is where he's always been. I don't care if you're closer to the Lord at this moment in your life than you've ever been. I can tell you without hesitation or reservation that none of us, and I said us, are as close to God as he wants us to be. None of us. After all, Christ came to die so that we could know him. Isn't it amazing that humanity will stretch the limits of everything except the only thing that has no limit? I mean, I'm driving up here. When I got to Missouri, I, was, I think the speed limit was 70, 75, and I always go, you know, two or three over. People were flying around me like crazy. 80, 85. A couple of people's going 90, no doubt. I was reminded of the guy from South Louisiana, the T-boy from my move. He's driving on Interstate 65 up here. Got pulled over, he's going 40. Everybody's waving at him when they passed him, you know. Policeman pulled him over and he said, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? And he said, I have no doubt, Chad. He said, I was the only one you could catch. In our humanity, we stretch everything to the limit, don't we? And pass, except the only thing, everything we touch, we challenge. And usually we ruin. We have reduced this glorious relationship with the one true living God that is available to all of us through the shed blood of Calvary to mere religion today, simply for the sake of control. We're no different than the worldly mindset that's trying to control the way we think. We have taken the indefinable, the inexpressible, and tried to contain it in something we could fathom, that we could explain. I want to tell you, I'm glad my God still does some things that are unexplainable. Aren't you? That's miraculous things, things we can't explain. I'm glad he still does things we can't explain. And I'm telling you this morning, I believe God wants to do something in your life that you can't explain. The issue is, will you let him? He's ready. He's standing on go. Chrissy, he's waiting to do something unexplainable, undefinable, something that the only answer is him. Why limit a limitless God? Why try and limit God in an effort to explain him so a finite human mind can wrap their arms around him and understand him? I want to tell you, we can't understand God. Grace makes no sense. I'm just glad it's real. When we have the glorious opportunity to know God in a personal and intimate way, I don't want to be able to explain that. I just want to be able to enjoy that. Listen, folks, knowing and experience God is way better than being able to understand him. For you doubters, I have come to understand that I will never understand my wife. But boy, I sure do love knowing her and growing closer to her every day. And I know the wives would say the same things about us husbands. But we're not supposed to be the same. We're not supposed to think the same. The way she thinks, 
makes up for the way I, what I miss. Amen. And she completes me. Understand her? I quit trying to do that a long time ago and things have been better. I didn't need what I thought I needed in a wife. I needed what God wanted me to have in a wife. Amen. Religion does not compare to relationship in any form or fashion. What, what is so very sad is the fact that our world has become so sick of religion by watching the hypocrisy in our churches that it can't even envision what a real personal relationship with the living God is anymore. And the reason is because of us. All of our religion has served to cause them to question God's existence. It is utterly amazing to me that the very vehicle that God has left in place to express his kingdom and manifest Christ, the church, the body of Christ, because of compromise, the devil is now using to cause the masses to question God. Listen, as Christians, we're supposed to know this is God's house. I said, this is God's house. This is not our house. This is God's house. I don't know the history of this church, but I promise you that in the history of this church, the people that built this church dedicated the facilities to God. They gave them to God. God, this is your house. I read about the temple of Solomon's prayer this morning in my Bible reading. You ought to read, I think it's first Kings chapter eight. How many times the term heard from heaven is in that chapter? We want our people to be able to bow towards this temple when they're going through something in life. We want to be able to have our people bow before this temple when they need direction in life, when they need deliverance in life, when they need anything in life. And he goes on and on and on and on, rehearsing the scenarios of human existence. And they wanted to be able to look to the house of God so they can hear from heaven. I'm going to tell you, there's something about this building that's different than every other building on this street. This building has been dedicated to God. This is his house, not our house. But let's be honest. People are making church what they want it to be. In this generation, the way most people act in church, it appears that they believe it belongs to them. This is God's word. Not tenets of faith written merely by men. It's God's holy word. This is God's truth we're talking about this morning. Not mere human philosophy or theory or ideology. This is God's day. It was created on purpose for his pleasure. His pleasure. Not ours. And so are we. We are created for his pleasure. That means we're here for him. Most people, even in the church, think God's here for them. But the Bible says we're here for him. We are here for him. Sacred things belong to God. And because of our misrepresentation of them, the world is now trying to redefine them. We played around with marriage. We didn't treat it like holy matrimony. Now, I'm not here to, I'm just telling you. It's supposed to be a representation of the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. We've played around with it. Now the world's redefining it. We've played around, we've played around so much. Now they're redefining sacred things like male and female. Come on, church, am I talking the truth or not? We're just going to sit around and let it happen? 
You sit around and let it happen. Your kids will become victims of it. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. They will. You better draw a distinct line based upon thus saith the Lord. And they need an example of somebody that believes it living before them. We need to quit messing around trying to make them acceptable, the sacred things of God and the secular mind and, and, and carnal natures. God made them. I'm sorry. Let's expect, accept them and enjoy them for what they are because the truth is God made them for us to experience and enjoy in the first place. The difference is what God has made available to us in Christ as to compare to what we think we want is what draws people to him, what he's made available in Christ, not our fixing it up so the world will take it better. You can't get no better than God's given. What God has in store for us is so far beyond our best choices that as the songs say, we can only imagine. So let me tell you, I'm sick of religion too. You sick of religion, say amen, I'll go on, it'll help me. I'm sick of the damage religion has caused, and I believe God Almighty is sicker of it than we are. The gospel is about a relationship with the living God, not dead religion. It's Religion says you can't unless you do this or that. Relationship says you can no matter what. Religion sets limitations. Relationship removes restraints. Religion is defined and seeks after what men want, while relationship is developed and grows and seeks after what God wants as it grows. That's why we're singing songs. When I think about the Lord, what he has done only lays a foundation for what I believe he can do. It's a growing thing. That's why I'm telling you, I don't care if you live for God 50 years. You ought to know him better today than you did yesterday. You ought to be closer to him today than you were yesterday. You ought to be closer to him tomorrow. You ought to be closer to him this afternoon than you was this morning. The truth is we try to preach about it. We try to proclaim the truth of God's word, but really don't even fathom all that is being said ourselves. Necessarily all that is available in Christ because of the cross. He bought us everything. The cross opened up all of heaven for us. What glory, church? So this world does not know that. Your co-workers that don't know the Lord don't know that. Your classmates. I'm not sure the church world has even fully embraced it. I know we have not experienced it all. So listen, it is a principle of scripture, a truth in relationship. God cannot have his way in relationship until we get out of the way. John the Baptist saw it. He expressed it like this. You can quote it. He must increase, but I must decrease. You see, folks, something really happens when God is finally in charge. When our Heavenly Father is allowed to have His way in anything and everything, our hearts and lives included, there's no way for us to even fathom what is possible when and where we allow God to be God. One thing human history makes abundantly clear, things are better when God is honored and God is served. He'll make you a better man. He'll make you a better woman. And he's not confused about which one. He'll make you a better husband, a better father, a better wife, a better mother, a better son, a better daughter, a better neighbor, a better employer, a better employee, a better preacher, amen, a better deacon. He'll make you better because that's what he does. Now, I'm fixing to read my text, so I'm getting ready to close. But let me say this before. There's a difference between submission 
commitment, and surrender. Submission does not necessarily mean I want to. How many of y'all ever played mercy? Y'all play mercy up here? How many know just because you say mercy don't mean you want to say mercy? Submission doesn't mean you want to. That ought to encourage you, wives. You can submit without wanting to. And matter of fact, well, I better not go there. I would say a lot of the times you don't want to, do you? Submission doesn't mean I want to. Commitment still allows for a degree of say-so for the one committing. When I say I do, the relationship's going to demonstrate if I mean it or not. But surrender, on the other hand, is completely at the disposal, completely at the pleasure, completely at the mercy of another. No hesitation, no reservation, no regrets, not holding nothing back. This is really what being spirit-filled is all about. You don't have to be afraid to surrender to God. So with these thoughts in mind, I want to go to the scene of the greatest surrender in all of time and eternity. The reason I can say it's the greatest is because of the impact it has had upon the world and can have upon every one of us. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. You know the scene, so I'm going to, I'm going to start reading with verse 31. Last Supper, taking communion, talking to the disciples. And he said, the Lord said in verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee. A little bit of submission, both into prison and into death, maybe even commitment. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Obviously, no surrender. And he said unto them, when I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lacked you anything? And they said nothing. Now, folks, this is after they watched him live for three, three and a half years. They heard him teach. They performed miracles, walked on water, fed 5,000. Are y'all with me? And he's still trying to, ha- he's still trying to teach us some things that their humanity has not allowed them to grasp. Then he said to them, but now, verse 36, he that hath the first, let him take, take it and likewise his scrib. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. He was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. Here it is. 
Greatest surrender of all time and eternity. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him and being in an agony. He prayed more earnestly and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. We're talking about the battle, folk, of all battles of will. And when he rose up from prayer and he was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. That means that they, the agony that they heard in Christ as this battle was being fought was so overwhelming, it literally wore them out to the degree that they were physically drained. They fell asleep from sorrow as they listened to this battle. What's the battle? With the human will. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Not my will, but thine be done. The surrender of Christianity. Now listen. Because Jesus Christ surrendered there, you and I can surrender here. Oh, come on, church. Because he surrendered there, we can surrender here. As we consider this, we have to acknowledge where we are. Where are we in 2021? Stuff has happened in the last year and a half you never dreamed you would see. Why? Why did God allow that in his sovereignty? Because he's trying to prepare his people for this end time run. When the world is trying to manipulate the whole masses, the multitudes, and the way they think, God is saying, will my church rise up and be my church? It's a matter of surrender. This world is beginning to experience the damage of social media. Because they have realized the influence that their deception can have. Oh, don't tell me. You know, if they don't want you on there, they they block you. Know this. At a minimum, there's a social shift that is making us more antisocial than we've ever been. It's intentional. It's on purpose. It is creating divides that may never be bridged again. They're talking about unity and love, and they're making people more disunified and more hateful than they've ever been. You watch and see. We are not dealing with some sort of new mindset or some sort of new human ideology or philosophy or traditions. We are facing the influence of an antichrist spirit at work. And we must know it. And being filled with the Holy Ghost is more important than it's ever been, in my opinion, because he's about to call the Holy Ghost, the spirit of restraint, the church of the living God out of this world. There's a spirit that's seeking to limit the impact we have upon one another by dictating everything. Everything. This is about control. So it is impossible for us in this climate right now to do as Solomon instructed in in Proverbs 27. 
if we can't contact one another? How can iron sharpen an iron if it never touches? The devil is doing all he possibly can to eliminate relationship in our midst because he knows his days are numbered. The time is coming very soon where the relationship that we have chosen and settled for with God are going to be eternally in place. However you handle Jesus Christ in this world, he is going to handle you in his. He said it. If you deny me before men, then I'm going to deny you before my heavenly father. Oh, but glory to God. If you confess me before men, then I'm going to confess you before my heavenly father. So it matters whatever man, woman, boy, and girl does with Jesus Christ. It matters. This surrender will take place. This surrender will take the depths in relationship that few ever know. You make no mistake about it. Our relationship with God is meant to influence every other relationship we have on this earth. On a spiritual level. On an eternal level. God put you in those classrooms, young people. God gave you that job, sir. Not just to provide food for your family. He put you there to be full of the Holy Ghost. And influence those people you work with for His kingdom's sake. we got to start living with the eternal in mind. So I meant to submit to you this morning that the surrender of Christ is meant to be established. This surrender over our human will to be duplicated, to be demonstrated in our Christ likeness. He's our example in everything, including our surrender. Therefore, his example is meant to outline our experience. I wasn't going to do this, but I am because I felt moved in the worship service. Flip over to me quickly. Matthew, I mean, John 17, the real Lord's prayer. You go read instead, I'm going to read the latter part because he's praying for you and me. He's about to die and he's praying for us. Can you imagine? He's talking about the disciples, verse 16, John said, they are not of the world, even as as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. What what does that mean? We need to be sanctified. We got to be set apart. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sake, I sanctified myself that they also, that they also might be sanctified through that truth. What are you, what's he saying? Christ set himself apart to die so that you and I could set ourselves apart to live. This is what he said. Verse 20, neither pray I for these alone. Not just talking about the disciples is there. But for them also which shall believe on me through. That's where me and you come in. He's praying for Ronnie from T-Boy, from my moo the night before he died. Because he knew, he knew, he knew you would believe in 1982. Do you believe he's that personal? You better believe it. Do you believe he's that specific? The devil don't want you to think he is. I want to tell you he knows your name. I said he knows your name. He knows where you're from. He knows what you're doing. He knows what you need. And he's ready to give it to you this morning. He also knows what you don't know. What you're going to face tomorrow. The phone call you're going to get. The wreck you might have happen. He knows. 
I was reading through Acts 26, Paul's defense before King Agrippa. I've read I don't know how many times in my life. The other day it jumped off of me like a neon sign when he told Agrippa that the voice called me by name. And I'm paraphrasing. And then he said, and he spoke to me in the Hebrew tongue. What's that mean? Y'all think he speaks to the people of Mexico in Hebrew? What about you? I don't know about you, but if he spoke to me in Hebrew, I'd be in trouble. He speaks to me in broken English and broken French. They're both broken. What are you telling me, Brother Martin? I'm telling you. He knows your name, and he knows how to speak your language. <laughs> Let me keep it. Just, just look at this. Verse 21. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I give them. Come on, church. That they may be one even as we are one, I and them and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou hast loved me. And what are we doing in the church world today? Trying to make it okay to sin a little bit every day. Excusing our sin. Instead of striving to live for God. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Oh righteous Father. Oh righteous Father. Some of the commentaries say that they left out a word and. He's saying, oh, righteous Father, you're so wonderful. You're so glorious. You're so gracious. And the world hath not known thee. But I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name. And will declare it. That the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them. The love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them. And die in them. Oh, come on. When I read that church, I know we're settling. I said, I know. I said, we. Oh, man. I just don't know if I'm doing the truth justice. He's our example in everything, including our surrender. There's things that he wants us to experience that we've yet to experience. His example is meant to outline our experience. His example is meant to outline our experience. So in this position, and only in this position, that the greatest depths of relationship can be reached. And again, it's by surrender. I'm not talking about just our surrender to Christ, but the surrender of Christ in us. The first addresses our sin, but the latter enables us to successfully deal with ourselves. This kind of surrender doesn't just happen instantly or overnight. The Lord has dealt with me for months about this truth and relationship that is so readily available to us, but very few ever reach. And I by no means believe that I have, but I sure want to. I'm afraid that if you put enough pressure on me, that Marty Harden will still come out. And the reason I know is because I've asked God for just five minutes outside the woodshed with too many folks sitting in my office. Now tonight, if the Lord says the same, I want to give you the meat of this message, the surrender of Christianity. It's exemplified in the surrender of Christ. 
I'm going to talk to you about the test of surrender, the truth of surrender, and finally the triumph of surrender. So as we close this morning, I don't know how you do things here normally, but if the worship team wants to come, I believe we must take time in the presence of the Lord to do a personal evaluation. Honestly examine, I want to. Not your wives or your husbands, your children, yours. I want to. I'm going to examine my want to. We lose if we don't. When the surrender of Christ is established in our souls, self will be taken care of. I don't know if I personally believe in entire sanctification in a lifetime. I don't know where I'm at on all that. I'm I'm still working it out. I just know that Paul wrote Philippians in the same jail that he wrote 2 Timothy. And in Philippians, he's pressing towards the bar. I hadn't attained it yet, but in 2 Timothy 4, he said, I have finished my course. What a thing to be able to say, Brother Ronnie, at the end of your life. I have kept the faith. I fought a good fight. Something happened in that two or three year period, however long it was. But he feel like he done what he's created to do. Purpose. Pleasure don't ever satisfy you, young people. That's why you always got to climb higher, drive faster, go deeper, do more. Purpose will satisfy. God made you for a reason. He didn't make nobody else for you. And if you find it, you'll be fulfilled. If you don't, you'll be searching for all of eternity. So this surrender, before it can be implemented into our nature, our character, our makeup, we got to deal with our want to. We have to respond to the possibility and the potential of complete and total surrender of self to Christ. How, Brother Marty? By dying to ourselves which is really what sanctification is all about. God will sanctify you if you'll consecrate yourself. You did that this morning. How did I consecrate myself? You came to church. You set yourself apart under God. And he wants to do something. Because he always wants to do something. Now the question is, will we let him? Will I open up and let him in? Something happens when we die to ourselves, when we surrender that cannot happen any other way. It is only as we empty ourselves that God can fill us with His glory. It is as we take our hands off of things that God can take control. When I was a kid, there was a bumper sticker people used to put on. God is my co-pilot. I'm going to tell you, God ain't co-pilot nothing. If He's not the pilot, He ain't on board. Let me bring it home to you. He can handle what's consuming you. In fact, he wants to. God can deal with the last thing you thought about last night. Or maybe what kept you awake last night. Maybe it was the last thing you thought about. The first thing you thought about when you woke up this morning. God, what am I going to do? He already knows. He wants to help you. Turn it over to Jesus. Surrender it to Him. About 10 years ago, maybe a little longer now, I was preaching in Alabama. 
at a meeting. My son, my oldest son, played football at a small college in Dallas for a year or so, and then it had a bad knee injury in high school, and had come out of that pretty good. And college there close to us, Nickel State University, kind of reached out to him, and he was thinking about transferring. And LSU got wind of it. And anyway, they contacted him, and he made LSU's football team. My oldest son. He went in for the physicals in the fall. I'm preaching in Alabama. They found a tumor on his right testicle. And I I just heard about it. It was a Wednesday night. I preached. I'm backed up against the wall of the platform as they were praying in the altars. I'm against the back wall. And I'm dealing with this in my heart and my mind. I said, God, you gave me that boy 20, 21 years ago. And I gave him back to you. And I, I, I rededicate him to you again. Whatever has to happen in his life for him to make heaven his eternal home, that's what I want. But if I can have my way, I need you to touch us or see us through it, whatever. And I don't know. But God gave me something against the wall of that church. I could take you to it. I could see it like it happened earlier this morning. But something in my soul when I knew everything was going to be all right. And I'd love to tell you that they did another examination and they couldn't find the tumor, but that's not what happened. They had to take all of that out. His right testicle tumor. He had three different kinds of cancer in that tumor. One was a very fast-growing cancer that normally is not in that area of your life, body. So when they did all that, they told him, you're not going to be able to have kids. Don't want to get too graphic. They even harvested some seed from him so he could possibly have kids. I don't even know how I feel about that theologically, but that's what they did. We paid every year to store that. So they could artificially inseminate that into his wife when they got, when he got married. He could still have kids. And so one day, about three or four years in there, I was praying and I, I just went to Brandon and I said, Brandon, it's your decision, son. Whatever you decide, I'll support. But I think we ought to get rid of that stuff and just trust God. He said, okay, dad. And he did. Today, he's got three kids. Amen. Three years of age and under. They hadn't figured out what caused them yet. Oh, if I could do it for you. I'd kneel at an altar and surrender whatever it is to God. He's ready to move in ways we can't even imagine. Surrender. Guess what song they were singing while I was against the back wall of that church in Alabama? You old timers know it. I surrender.
all to Jesus. I surrender. I'm having a sometimes moment. I can't remember the next words, but I know them. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence. Daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. Would you stand with me this morning? Now, folks, with one of those three grandkids after church, amen, they're coming already. After church, Brother Ronnie, they'll come running down that aisle. Papa! With hands lifted up, I tell you, there ain't anything Papa wouldn't do. And if an earthly man will do that, what do you think God Almighty will do this morning? If you'll lift your hands and come down this aisle with your hands lifted up and surrender to God. I'm telling you, He's ready to do something. Would you come if there's something you need to surrender to God? Come, expecting Him to meet you here. He's ready to do beyond your imagination. Surrender, surrender, surrender. Amen. Praise God.